Hey, Real Nerds listeners, there's many ways you can interact with the Real Nerds podcast. You can email us at realnerds at gmail.com. You can hit us on Twitter at Real Nerds. You want to check us on Facebook? You can just look for Real Nerds Podcast. You want to leave us a voicemail? Just call 720-6NERDS5. You want to listen to our episodes? You can check us out on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Camera, action! Well, a real nerd knows who shot, and a real nerd can follow the plot, and a real nerd can... Doesn't talk to film! I'm sorry. Take it outside. Well, a real nerd knows who shot. A real nerd can follow the plot. And a real nerd looking at all the gods. Lights, camera, action. Morgan, tell me a little bit about yourself here, real quick, before we get started. Okay. I'm from I'm from Wyoming. Yeah. Uh, I live in South Ogden, Utah, right now. Nice. Uh, we actually do a YouTube videos about pop culture, everything. I've been a collector. I collected comics from the '60s. Uh, I've been a, a sci-fi superhero fan from the '60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I stopped collecting comics in 2009, but I ended up with. I have between 40 and 50,000 collectibles. Okay. So I'm kind of a hardcore collector. I now I just collect prints because uh, if you've got 40,000 comic books, you have a whole room in your house full of comic books and wonderful. So uh, mostly around the collection stuff and movies. Uh, grew up watching anything sci-fi I could get my hands on. Uh, UFO, Space 1999, so all the old school stuff. I've gone to all of the Comic Cons in Utah, met Neil Adams, met a lot of the artists. Um, Breed, who's here now, I've chatted with him a lot. Uh, I've always kept the Marvel movies when they came out, all the kids would flood to me to find out how they compared to the comics. Really? And so I was kind of the, well, our channel's called They Call Me Uncle, because all the kids call me uncle. (laughs) And so uh, I've been kind of the source of all this comic book trivia. Well, that's a, you're you're. It's not it's not gatekeeping, but it's it's uh, it's like keeper of a scroll, if you will. And yeah. You're, you're like le- letting that knowledge unfurl. Yeah. So oh, and I tell them, you know, this is what I really like that they did. This is what I didn't like they did. I, I always, you know, I really like when the movie or the te- whatever the animation. Yeah. When they do something better, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and, so, you know, it's always that kind of discussions. So, Morgan, uh, first of all, thank you for coming on to Real Nerds Podcast here to talk with us a little bit about that. Um, we had a little bit of pre-chatter, so I'm sorry that the introduction wasn't as flawless. But I wanted to, uh, I, I wanted to touch it back into your origins in it. What gets you into the comic, se- the comic sector of life and pop culture as a whole like what what's the catalyst that kicks so, it off it, it's interesting so i grew up in lyman wyoming there were no comic book stores 
per se. Back then, you didn't really have them. Yeah. And my mom would bring home comics that she tore the cover off of. Because in the old days, they tore the cover off to get credit. Mm -hmm. So me and my dad and my brother would sit and read comics all the time. Wow. And it's funny. Nobody knew we were like that. I grew up, It's you know, we grew up on a ranch where... You, you're, and you're getting what you can get, and yeah, you're talking yeah. about Wyoming in like yeah. the '60s and '70s. Like that—that's not like a mass. Your general dime store might have it, or not. Yeah. Not. A, I'm. I'm being facetious, I guess. But it's. Well, that's what it was. Literally. It was dime store. Or it was. Uh, my mom worked at the drugstore. Yes. And they happened to do comics for a while, and the big ones for us. Uh, me and my dad, and my brother, read Conan from the beginning until. Uh, they, we stopped collecting and also Tarzan we were into a lot of those and then we'd go to Evanston and they had bookstores mm-hmm. and they also had uh, it's called it was a drugstore and they had you know the spinner rack mm-hmm. and I would save all my allowance to buy comics wow and so uh, fortunately I've, I've told this story before the first comic I bought with my own money I got a job when I was 12 and but the first comic I bought myself without it being allowance was X-Men 97 wow now what was even cooler was that was so good I went back and I got 94 and 95 and giant size number one off the shelf wow oh my god I still have the 94 95 and 97 I read the giant size number one so many times that actually at a store in Denver, I I traded mine and bought a better one. So I have probably one that's in fine to very fine. And so, so, is it CGC or is it just like your own? Like no, yeah. no, just my own. Um, but I was in a store recently and the guy had a CGC one, Ooh. and it was uh, at fine. Probably going for about three grand right now. Jesus. Mine looked at least that good. Wow. But what's cool is that's what really got me rolling. And uh, over the years, I have like a full run of the X Men, the original series, full run of Avengers. There's only a few. I didn't get, uh, you know, I don't have an Amazing Fantasy 15. Right. I've seen one once. You know, we talked about that, that for me, you know, possession is the deal. Right. I gotta have. I just. But I do keep track of when I've seen. I've never seen a Detective Twenty Seven. Never seen a Batman one. Never seen an action one in person. Right. But I did see an Amazing Fantasy Fifteen. But they wouldn't even tell you the price. They 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 just didn't even bother. Like they knew no. nobody was gonna be able to afford it. Exactly. So so within that collector market and whatnot. So you grew up in an era where. As you're growing up, comic books are still relegated to that spinning rack, as previously discussed. Yes. You talked about a bookstore. Had that at that point, were they even remotely stocking them on a shelf, like as a for, like in the way that we would maybe see at Barnes and Nobles today? Sure. Now, uh, Evanston was their bookstore actually had a a big wooden shelf, and they had, but they carried limited titles. Mm. Plus, being when you're a kid and you're on a you know on an allowance, you've got to. Uh, it was really important. It, it tells you why the cover art's so important because 
uh, that's what would catch your attention. Right. Because you weren't hearing about these characters anywhere else. Yeah. Uh, the closest to an Iron Man movie I'd seen was, uh, I don't even remember what it was called, but I watched it because that I thought that's as close to Iron Man as I'm going to get. Yeah. But we did watch, you know, Batman, the Adam West Batman. Mm-hmm. That was a favorite. Um, but we just weren't seeing a whole lot of superhero stuff. The X-Men, I would talk about them with my friends, and they had no idea what I was talking about. And you had limited options for animation, too, even. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, DC DC came out with Super Friends. Super Friends. Um, yep. Justice League of America. But, uh, that, it's funny, because I was thinking about this yesterday. The, the amount of superheroes that existed as far back as the 30s, but the limited ways they were utilized up until maybe the 80s um, but like I was thinking about like the fact that you did have Batman and Superman on radio you had Green Hornet on radio um, the shadow on well the shadow the shadow comes from pulp and radio it's it the, its origins are all kinds of scattered because it was designed to sell books um, but so the the amount of like access that you have is comparatively limited to what we have now so your YouTube channel it has that title of referring to you as uncle, right? And you're passing along this knowledge. I'm curious, like, what with, with if anybody with, with anybody watching it of a younger uh, age range, like, mm-hmm. so maybe around my age or younger. Sure. How do you, how do you bridge any of those gaps to kind of explain collecting then versus now for them? What's kind of cool is the two my two cohorts, one of them's my nephew, mm-hmm. and the other guy is a friend, family friend, and they're millennials, and I'm at the end of the baby boomers, mm-hmm. and so you're seeing, you're hearing me tell them about the stuff, and then they weigh in with questions, and it's really, those different perspectives are really cool. Yeah. Like, I showed them the Batman 66 movie, and the things they that cracked them up and the things they pulled out of it were a lot different than yeah. me. And so it's kind of like I'm explaining to them about collecting. And that's kind of how we started off. And uh, so it, it does. It, uh, we talk about, you know, if you're collecting on a budget, uh, you need to kind of find the characters you like and really relate to. You need to find the artists. I collected Neil Adams. He was the first artist that I could recognize his art when I saw it. And I, at this point, I think I have everything he did up until the 2000s, um, except for a couple Justice League. Right on. And I'm working on those. There you go. Well, that's always a step-by-step process. It is. Our our main host, Ryan, is ever in the process of building a Spider-Man collection up. So (laughs) he's he's still got a long way to go from what I understand. Now, see, the the two exceptions, you know, DC had Batman out there on TV when I was a kid. Right. And then when they did The Amazing Mm Spider-Man with Peter Hammond. Yeah. Nicholas Hammond. Oh, oh, yeah. Nicholas Hammond. I watched those. And, and for then, you know, it was so cool. Yeah. We were seeing Spider-Man. And then the Hulk. Oh, yeah, Bill I, Bixby and Bill Lou Ferrigno, yeah. I've actually met Lou Ferrigno, and I have a picture with him. <laughs> and it was so cool because you're there. I went to his panel in Salt Lake, and they had it in a smaller room. I actually sat by Bill Bixby's wife. Ah. As big as he is, she is the most petite creature you will ever see. Wow. She is tiny. 
but he was so you know uh, you, you know he has hearing issues mm-hmm. but in there he was just in his element he was telling you stories he was telling you about Bill Bixby he was gonna the stunt men weren't big enough so he had to do a lot of it and he had to jump off a building holding a stunt woman and he he said he got up there and he's like, nah, I, I, don't, I don't think I want to do this. And he said, Bill Bixby said, Lou, you jump off that building. And he said, when Bill Bixby tells you jump, you jump. jump. And he said, go back and watch it. It's him. <laughs> you know, and I love with the movies and stuff, the panels I go to, I love hearing the behind the scenes. Yeah. You know, uh, and you get a real feel for how people got along and stuff, but... Those, that's what I remember is the backstories, like like Lou Ferrigno telling us, you know, all that stuff is so cool. So, so within, within that, it's explanation to a younger generation, and also latching on to, the the way these IPs were uh, approached back then. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the biggest disconnect that you've discovered, if any, between the the generation gap? Like like, is there something that seems very obvious to you that they weren't fully understand that your nephew and your other cohorts don't really fully understand um one thing uh they are very knowledgeable and very into anime Mm. and i never was okay and they kind of look at things from that the way the stories are told the art they that's their thing when we're at these I can always point out, I, I love seeing characters that are not obvious, mm-hmm. and they have to tell me who a lot of characters are, like this guy. Yeah. Unless he's Shredder from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He is Shredder. Oh, yep. Nailed it. Yep. Nailed it. Um, but usually, you know, they are looking at it kind of from that perspective. But the disconnects... Um, one of the things I, I point out to him is some of these characters, I followed them and I really liked them and, uh, and learned, learned stuff from them almost. Right. And some of them aren't treated very well. I'll, I'll give you an example that you'll know right off. My favorite X-Man is Cyclops. Dude! Oh my God. <laughs> so when I was younger, like, so my, my, X-Men, my X-Men fandom is strange because so when I was a kid, the only action figure I had and it would have been from the 90s animated series was Cyclops yes. so I would say Cyclops was my favorite because he's the one I could play with Sure. as I've gotten older it's Magneto and Xavier because I like watching chess battles and sure. my, my, my reading my reading of the books is not as storied as others but I'm aware of major lines and actually Cyclops being at the forefront of a division in the X-Men where they're like one's following Xavier's way of thinking and the other one's like trying to split it off like they're basically they're both trying to find a way to protect right but I think it's Cyclops and Wolverine are at the division point um so like that doesn't that doesn't surprise me that Cyclops has his fans because everybody seems to look at him from the films and kind of think he's lame sauce yeah and unfortunately that's that's more due to the fact that you're competing with several other mutants on screen. Well, it, uh, we actually talk about this in one of our videos. We did an adaptation of X-Men number one. Uh-huh. And we and, uh, Carter, the, the kid that's on there, he does the narration. And he, he, go, he says something like, Cyclops is pretty cool, regardless of what Zack Snyder did, you know. And, and it's like, he, 
he gets it. That's when I can tell they're listening because uh, Cyclops, you know, in the 70s right, especially with Chris Claremont and uh, Dave Cochran, the way he drew him, I'm just, is awesome. Yeah. But Cyclops was your go-to guy. He yeah. was the field leader. I think the whole thing was they cast Hugh Jackman, and Hugh Jackman is, is such a presence. He it became Wolverine and the X Men. Yeah, and it's not and it's not that James Marsden isn't doesn't have his own sparkle, but he has not been given that same no. Barry, uh, he has not given the same entry point as Hugh Jackman was with Wolverine. Right. And S Scott Summers as a character to me is he's a Boy Scout, but if you if you were to take the time to work with him as a character, he mm -hmm. becomes more interesting the more you think about him. The, I'm not a big fan of what happened past Days of Future Past in terms of X-Men approach. Yeah. Uh, with the films, I, I, it's nothing. It's more so much that I feel like things started lacking a little bit. But I loved how they were attempting to round out Scott um, and having him played by Ty Sheridan. Because yeah. I was like, you know, this isn't perfect, but they're trying to <laughs> capture the conflict that Scott has. And, like, it's more than just, I can't take off this visor. It's like, I have to be straddled with responsibility. On top of that, I'm in love with a woman who may or may not become one of the most dangerous mutants on the planet. Well, and, and that was the thing I liked in the comics was uh, Scott, Gene was out of his league. Yes. And, and really, originally, the the jealousy was actually Angel. Warren Worthington was mm -hmm. rich. He was handsome. And Gene, you know, would be attracted to him. And Scott was very quiet and reserved. And over the storytelling, once it got into the... Uh, 94 and giant size one and then it started moving through there uh you know angel had left the x-men and with the new ones yeah they they threw in some wolverine uh kind of hitting on gene right but uh the dominant character was cyclops yeah and by then gene and scott had been together a long time and there was uh, never I never had any doubt that they would end up together. It's not the same love triangle that we're dealing with in the motion no. picture category, yeah. And then later the comics, I think, took notes from the motion picture and said, hey, it's a Wolverine gene. Right. And Oh, and then when they hooked uh, Scott up with Emma Frost, it's like, no. Yeah. No, that's... Well, that, that falls <laughs> in line, too, with how Batman, Batman the series uh, with Adam West and Burt Ward started influencing the way the comics would start being approached. You right. know that you have that run in the in the late 60s where things are getting real goofy real quick. Yes. And it's not that I, I I've had this discussion with Brad our aka Shredder here yeah. that like it's it's kind of hard to discount Batman in any of its forms because each era of Batman has its own unique representation of the era it's created in. Yeah. And camp camp approach was perfectly legitimate by the 60s end. The Green Hornet w underwent that sure. very thing. Well, we watched Green Hornet <laughs> because we were Bruce Lee fans. Mm -hmm. and, and Bruce Lee was magnetic. You not know. to say anything uh, against Van Johnson, but no. he's not Bruce Lee. <laughs> but Bruce Lee, you know, he, he just, uh, he, he was so cool. and mm -hmm. He had so much charisma. Yeah. You know, we all wanted to be Bruce Lee. I I can't <laughs> I, I, I can't think of a better hero to have at that point uh, growing up with yeah. that. 
I mean, and it's and it's weird because like for for me, Batman the series, and again, I I would love to know what your nephew and and the other cohorts think about this because for me, the attraction point, I'm into older comedians. So okay. watching and uh, and Golden Age Hollywood. So seeing Burgess Meredith play the Penguin, Frank Frank Gorshin as the Riddler, Cesar Romero as the Joker. That to me is one of the big selling points. Adam and Bert are great, right? But I I love seeing what are they going to do with each interpretation here yes. going forward. And you have your Catwoman, obviously, but it's like it's that three core there. Yeah. Uh, especially Cesar Romero as the Joker. Well, and that's why I had him watch that movie, because one of the questions they asked me on our panel or on our video was, were they always teamed up? And I'm like, no. No. No, it, it was a villain of the week thing. And uh, the one they kind of zeroed in on was Frank Gorshin. Oh, yeah. Because he really owned being the Riddler. Uh, and also, they'd have been exposed to uh, Heath Ledger's Joker. Yeah. And, man, they're like, that's the benchmark. Yeah. So Cesar Romero, to them, wasn't such a big deal. It Because Heath Ledger was, you, you just blew him away. There's a there's a weird balancing act where, and this, is, this would not be to discount Jack Nicholson, although I do think Jack Nicholson is kind of, He's the Joker, but he's doing he's doing his he's doing his own thing yeah. that doesn't really ex- is, isn't exclusive to comics. I've tried to describe Mark Hamill before as the middle point between Cesar Romero and Heath Ledger. Mark Hamill's approach on the animated series is finding a middle ground there, where he is just goofy enough to pull off some of the over melodramatic poses that they'll draw for him, but. He is a murderer, and yeah. first and foremost, like *Mask of the Phantasm* makes that more than clear. Yeah. But um, the the other element that you brought up with Gorshin, you know, Gorshin was a celebrity impressionist of his era. He 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 was a character actor. Uh, I had a I, I've had the good fortune of seeing him live before he passed away. He was doing uh, a one man show about George Burns, and wow. it's something to me that's amazing is that the way he inflects the Riddler. It's something that we were not really privy to growing up when I was younger, apart from Jim Carrey, who's kind of just doing a Jack Nicholson impression. Yeah. So it's like, it, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm curious, did they find his Gorshin's Riddler at all compelling? Because he's not uninteresting at all. He's like very intriguing to watch. Yeah, they, uh, when we were talking about it, they did. They, they are like, uh, when he's delivering his riddles and he, that cackle and that, you know, but I, I, it seems like the comment Carter made was, you know, he just owns it. Yeah. He, he just, and I felt like, you know, they see Heath Ledger really owned that character. Yeah. Um, I do like the Jack Nicholson one, but I do see where at no time do you feel like you're not watching Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Heath Ledger was like, is he crazy? Yeah, yeah, Heath Ledger's like, I'm going to get lost. Jack Nicholson's like, well, I'm going to get lost, but I'm going to get lost my way. Yeah. Like that's and that's the thing. Jack Nicholson is one of those like last bastions of a movie star, you know. Well, and, and not not to pick on him, but one of the uh, one of the things I've explained to him is so having Samuel L. Jackson play Nick Fury, it, it, the reason it doesn't work very well for me is because. Samuel L. Jackson is always Samuel L. Jackson. 
Right. He has such a big personality. Uh, the only time I've seen him in something where I really felt different is uh, Django Unchained. Yeah. I oh, wanted him oh, dead oh, so oh. bad. That, that that character, because they, they show him glimpses of him in the trailer. Yeah. When I went to the theater to go watch Django Unchained, because you're right, when you see his character come out and the first lines of dialogue he delivers, my reaction was like, oh my God, they're doing this. And then, and then yes. watching the interviews later, he's just like, I'm going to make you the most unlikable human being on the planet, Sam. And he's just like, he, all right, let's do this. He hit it out of the park. Yeah. Because if Nick Fury walked out and said, who let these snakes on this mother-effing plane? Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised at all because I don't ever feel like he's not Samuel L. Jackson. I have the same problem with Ro or which one was Woody Harrelson in the Star Wars movie? Oh, um, I can't remember the name, but he's basically Han Solo's mentor or whatever. Yeah, and I like Woody Harrelson, uh, but that kind of took me out of yeah. the movie. Same as having Daenerys Targaryen in the Star Wars movie. Yeah. And I don't want to say they're typecast. Woody Harrelson is definitely not typecast, but... I, I don't know. As a as a consumer of that product, I look at it and go, "You kind of broke the immersion for me." Yeah. Because uh, I love Woody Harrelson in Zombieland. Yeah, Zombieland. And to me, that's a, I I just really like him in that. But it just kind of broke the immersion or something for me the, uh, watching him in the Star Wars universe. The, the the reason why I was able to get get with him is because I had seen him in a film with Ben Foster called The Messenger, and it's um it's about people in the military going to deliver the news that a significant other has passed, oh. and it watching Harrelson, I think, ground it down to a halt. It took me away from like People versus Larry Flint or even his work on Cheers where I was able to kind of like pull away from that. So like when he is in Star Wars, yeah, it's a little strange seeing Woody Harrelson running around Star Wars, but I can I can quickly pull back and just accept him in the world. Rarely have I ever run into that issue. Mm -hmm. The only the closest I've gotten oddly enough is back to Batman 66. Cesar Romero is the Joker. He's great as a performer. But that mustache pulled me out because I know Cesar Romero is a Latin <laughs> lover from Golden Age Hollywood. Yeah. So like, and the, the the, you know, I try to forget it's there, but like deep down, I know, like it's just no. You you've noticed it every second. It's never gonna go away. I, I think either Carter or Mason, the two that do this stuff with me, one of them called that out. They're like, yeah, they painted over his mustache. Yeah, it's, it, it's and like the 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 best way you can explain that is just like that. Romero was a gentleman who, when you're growing up in Golden Age Hollywood and, and having a career in there, mm -hmm. you change your image, the one the studio created for you, you might lose work. Right. Like, that's why you won't see Humphrey Bogart growing a mustache. Well, no, Bogart's clean-shaven. The closest you're going to get is a big old, like, 5 o'clock shadow for Treasure to Sierra Madre. You know what right, I'm saying? Right. So, like, I, I totally understand what why Romero chose that. Mm-hmm. But it's unfortunate that Blu-ray and 4K <laughs> cinema has given oh. him reasons to regret that decision. You, you know uh, who uh, Blu-ray and 4K are not kind to is old sci-fi movies. Oh, yeah. We watched yeah. Uh, War of the Worlds, the nineteen. The George Powell one? Yeah. Oh, yes. my God. I don't remember seeing all those wires. 
We're before he and I are. Go I do a I do a Golden Age Hollywood show. I've already tapped him to do that film. Yeah. I haven't picked up the criterion of it yet, but now I'm I'm afraid because I I've seen it before. Oh yeah, and I've seen it a lot. It, I remember it looking really cool, like unique. Yeah. And obviously, like War of the Worlds by uh, Spielberg had come out around the time that I yep. got to it. So I was like, so I was definitely spoiled in advance, right. but I still appreciated it. I'm, I'm anxious to see these wires now and how many of them are floating around on a oh, 4K yeah. disc. Oh well, my god! And what's cool is, uh, we watched that one, and then me and my cohorts watched the Steven Spielberg one. Yeah. And neither one of them had seen the end of the Steven Spielberg one because they were kids when it came out. And it scared the hell out of me. Ah. And I was like, it's not a scary movie. It's suspenseful. The 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 climax like the climax where they're all in the pod and they're trying to break out of the yeah. pod because they know they're gonna be liquefied. That was the moment the the solid moment of terror apart from um uh uh, Sean uh, Tim Robbins in the the shed in the shed yeah in the, the tentacles shed. yeah 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 but and they hadn't made it I don't think they had made it past the tentacles in the shed stuff oh or, I'm not sure but I just remember him saying this is the first time we've seen the end of this and I'm like I was blown away wow but the first time <laughs> the first uh, and, and it, it is. It's seeing it through an older person's eyes and a younger person. So I took my niece and nephew to Toy Story. Me and my wife did. Yeah. And I didn't get to see the end of Toy Story because when the little uh, the little erector set crawls out from under the bed with oh, the baby the, head. With the baby head, yeah. They got up and ran out of the theater, <laughs> and we had to go with them. We had to wait for the VHS tape to come out to uh, see how the movie ended. That was um, Mar <laughs> that was Mars Attacks for me as a kid. I, oh. I, that, yeah, su su super, super, like, nonsensical in retrospect, but we sure. went to Space Jam, and they showed a trailer for Mars Attacks at the beginning, and the... It, the alien, the brain aliens, the Martians. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it wasn't just their appearance. It was the fact that when they shot something, it just dissolved into a skeleton. And oh, I yeah. was terrified. And every, like, birthday slumber party I had for three years, I would get it and try to get through the movie. And then I, w I couldn't do it. When I finally, when I was around 14 or 15, I finally sat down and watched the movie and I would reached a point after seeing something like War of the Worlds where I'm like, oh, this is funny. This, yeah. is, this isn't scary at all. This is hilarious. Yeah. And then becoming an Ed Wood fan made me love that movie even more because there's a lot of just absolute, like, non-political mumbo-jumbo yep. uh, sci-fi speak that gets thrown into the movie of, like, we've got to have a president character, we've got to have a corrupt businessman character, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I'm like, this is just glorious. I but get that though. You, you yeah. got Pierce Brosnan, and oh, you take his head off. And the scientist. The sci the, you always the, had the scientist. The bashful scientist, and this one we're just gonna, yeah, not only gonna do that, we're gonna stick Sarah Jessica Parker's head on a chihuahua. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's it's a it's a nice little bizarre piece. Yeah. So yep. before we wrap it up, I want to yep. ask you uh, if there's one thing you could say out there to a younger listener. Who is it like 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 the ones you work with? Sure. Like, is there one thing you can give to them in terms of a way, like the best way to sell 
the media of the past or the things that you consumed as a kid? What's the best way for you to sell? What, what, what would you say to them to get them on board with looking into their pop culture past? Well, the thing that the thing that drew me into almost all of this originally was the art. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and in those days, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have a way to see what's out there. Uh, there is a, a, a website called Comic Vine, mm-hmm. and they have cover art. Go look at the cover art and find find the art that really draws you in. And uh, you know, and that's what I, we, we focus really heavy on art. Uh, a lot of the artists I liked are, are gone now, but so I come to as many of these as I can yeah. to meet the artists. And, uh, but yeah, I let the art draw me in. The other thing is, if you have authors you like to read, I as a kid read Edgar Rice Burroughs. Yeah. And I, it blows me away that like A Princess of Mars has only been made into one movie and it didn't do well. It, yeah, but there's another movie, and it is so bad. Uh, it's actually called The Princess of Mars. It went straight to the Sci-Fi Channel. So it's so it's somehow like less appealing than what John Carter was perceived to be when it came. Yes. Oh, okay. Oh yeah. I didn't hate John Carter, by the no, way. No, I, I, I liked it. Yeah, it's fun. You know. But uh, you know. I had a comic book store owner in Utah tell me, he said, nowadays, though, you know, art, uh, there are so many more artists than there ever were and stuff. And so uh, find, you know, characters you relate to, find uh, writing. Writing's become so important. And one thing, as a collector, until they started having these, I didn't know what anybody looked like. Right. The first time I met him is the first time I saw him. Mm-hmm. Other than Neil Adams. Neil Adams was good at promoting himself. I knew what he looked like. Yeah. From, I, from the 70s. Yeah. I, I, my first exposure to him was interviews for, like, retrospectives on different characters or mm-hmm. uh, the history of, like, the history of comic books. Um, on, I think it was a, AMC did, like, super, su- superheroes, yeah. secrets of superheroes and whatnot. But yeah, he was always good at promoting himself and talking about his legacy, like with Green Lantern and other things. Where, yep. like, you you don't you don't stop to think of how many things were innovated by one person in the '70s All when they're right. trying to shake this stuff up. Well, so. he's the one who made me a Batman fan at all. Yeah, because I didn't like the campy comics. But one day I was reading a Neil Adams, and my dad said, "Well, that's sure not my Batman." But he liked it better. Ah. And it's the one where Batman has his shirt off. Mm. And you've never seen Batman with his shirt off. No. And uh, it was also the one with the werewolf. Uh, that one was so good. It was scary as a kid. Yeah. Reading that one was like, that werewolf seemed dangerous. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think it's, you know, just take the subjects you like. You'll find the stuff, and and especially if you can meet the artists and writers, you know, that's that's been so much fun. I, that has kept me going uh, and kept me coming back is the, the conversations I have, like talking with you. Yeah. You and I could turn this off, go have lunch, and talk all day. I'm yeah. Sure. We don't know each other, yeah, but, but it doesn't matter. We have a lot, you know, that clicks. And exactly. And, it, and the best thing that I could take away from this is that you're, you're reminding us that there's, there's still lessons to be taught from media past. Like, it's something yeah. that I stick to as a principle on a daily basis. So I appreciate you sitting down and chatting with us about this. 
please please promote please promote your YouTube. Like please tell, please tell people where they can find you. Okay. Uh, if you go out and search for They Call Me Uncle, mm-hmm. uh, it's out on YouTube. We've been releasing, we've been covering this. Yeah. We've never done that before. My poor editor, my nephew, is asleep in the room because he stays up all night editing the video. Ah, nice. But we've been getting him out. Uh, but yeah, go out and take a look. Uh, we have some longer videos. At first, we were doing long form, kind of. Yeah. We go really in depth. Batman 66, you need to go watch. Yeah. I think you'd get a kick out of it. Yeah. Uh, we started doing some shorter ones, only five minute ones. Our best viewed one is called uh, Legion of Superheroes. In the 70s, they were rock stars for me. Yeah. And uh, we covered that. Oh, okay, here, I've got a, I got a card. You oh, God, that I was going to say, I'm calling okay, it right now. You. But, yeah, no, perfect. Wonderful. Thank you. Sorry, I'm wanting to get it on. I've already wanted yeah, to do it immediately. So, um, <laughs> really, nice. and lastly, let's, let's settle this once and for all. Favorite cameo of a celebrity popping his head out of the window when Batman and Robin are climbing, are scaling a wall. The one, uh, I, I'm a big Rat Pack fan. Sammy Davis? Yes. Yes. Sammy yeah. Davis. And as a kid, uh, uh, in fact, in one of our videos, I cat, we do casting yeah. for fun. I cast the Rat Pack in an Iron Man movie. So, think about it. Dean Martin as Iron Man. Yes. Spot on. Yeah. Sammy Davis Jr., Jim Rhodes, they yeah. were friends in real life. Yeah. The chemistry was there. Well, they had them in Cannonball Run running around together for two exactly. films. That, and, and I, well, they did another one, and I, I don't think I've ever seen it, but I know they did another one. Not too long, like, before or after that period. They, uh, I have to look it up. But, you know, that's a good idea. Frank Sinatra could easily could easily take on uh, the Bridges role. Just <laughs> make him the villain. I want to see Frank Sinatra as the villain. Or Peter Lawford. Peter Lawford could be happy. Hogan. Yes. There you go. And Margaret as Pepper Potts. But the casting I did that blew my cohorts away was if you were to cast an older Batman today, who would you cast? And I've got this cold, and he's still alive. Is it Clint Eastwood? Bruce Campbell. Oh. We even got a picture of Bruce Campbell standing by the Batmobile, but he can do the campy stuff, he can do the serious stuff. And I made such a good case, the other two are like, we don't even want to talk about it. Yeah. But Bruce Campbell, we love Bruce Campbell. I, I love Bruce Campbell, too. My go-to has always been Clint Eastwood. I'm just like, if you're going to do Dark Knight Returns, get Clint Eastwood to put on a back cowl. I read, I read uh, in AD 2000 or 2000 AD. Yeah. They did a poll way back on who would be the best Judge Dredd. Clint Eastwood <laughs> back in the day and now I can't unthink that yeah I I would love that yeah but Brad we got it Stallone was wrong the whole time it should have been Clint Eastwood playing Judge Dredd <laughs> well thank you so much Morgan for sitting down with us you bet and that's another interview from the uh, floor of Denver Fan Expo 2022 keep listening in ladies and gentlemen Shot a real nerd can follow the plot of a real nerd. Look out on the cops, lights, camera, action. 
Thanks for listening to Real Nerds Podcast, a Nebulous Visions production. Stream or download episodes, read articles at realnerdspodcast.com. Stream us on Apple or Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or iHeartRadio. Follow us on Facebook, Real Nerds Podcast. Twitter and Instagram, at Real Nerds. Watch us on YouTube, Real Nerds Podcast. Email us at realnerds at gmail.com. Call us at 720-6Nerds5. Thank you to Sparks Mandrill, Mike at Plan 9 Studios, and Bolognium for all of our groovy theme songs. And that's how you fucking do it.